Hi, I'm Kate. And I'm Mandy. And this is Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and the sober curious. Hi there, and welcome back to Love Sober, the podcast for the sober and sober curious. And this is episode 111, and it's the 1st of January. So, Happy New Year, everybody. Woo! Yeah. Imagine <laughs> people whoop, whoop being there. So I'm on my own today because Kate has a internet problem. Um, but I'm not fully alone because I am with the magnificent Millie Gooch. Hi. And, <laughs> and we're going to talk through her new book and, yeah, everything that she's been up to and... Um, and um, her platform, Silver Girl Society, and Millie and I have kind of known each other right from the beginning of the mm-hmm. Instagram um, sober support phenomenon, I'm going to call it. Uh, so it's a great pleasure to sort of, yeah, kind of dive into your story and, and, and for you to tell us about the book. Um, so how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, all good. I always refer to you as my sober mum because, yeah, you were there right from the start <laughs> and held my hand and, and helped me a lot. So, yeah, really grateful to be here. Um, yeah, so we always start with a kind of a little bit about your sober journey. We'll get on to talking about the book. So can you tell us a little bit about what brought you to the decision to go alcohol-free? Yeah, so my drinking, I mean, I say this phrase quite a lot now, but I got, um, I started drinking at uni and I always say I left with a 2-1 in English, but a first in drinking because that was the thing that I managed to perfect when I was at uni. Um, I actually didn't drink really before I went to uni. I think I'd probably had a couple of WKDs at a family party and that was about it. Um, Turned 18 about three weeks before I went went to uni and was just like launched into this binge drinking culture where it was never even a question of like, do I drink? Do I not drink? It just at the time did not even feel like a choice. I think in my like Freshers Welcome pack, I had like a Jagerbomb sponsored shot glass. And from that, that was just, you know, defined how my next three years were going to go. So like I worked in a shop bar, I worked in a vodka revolutions, I worked in so many bars and just started like really heavily binge drinking I never really started with like one or two glasses of wine it was just straight away like zero to everything we used to go to our Oceana and they did triple vodka Red Bulls and we used to get two and put them in a pint glass so it was six vodka Red Bulls um, and towards the end of uni I kind of had started blacking out a bit more and um, my hangover anxiety was getting worse but I, I didn't really question it because I thought, you know, I'm at uni, this is what everyone does. We go out, we do stupid things. Um, and at that point as well, like Geordie Shaw was really popular. It was about like 2011. So like this kind of culture of like going out, getting mortal was like all I kind of knew. Um, then I left uni and needed to be a sensible adult, but didn't take that very seriously. So I would still, um, I was working in like fashion PR and it was very that like culture of 8am to 8pm. And then we'd all go down the like wine bar and moan about how much we hated fashion. So it was like that kind of culture. And then I would drink a lot. I would end up at train stations miles from my house. I was like living in Kent and working in London. So I'd have to like get on a train and I would always like fall asleep pissed and wake up in like 
Gillingham or Dover or somewhere very far away. Um, And then just steadily and steadily, my drinking kind of like got worse. My hangover anxiety got worse. So I got into this like real cycle of binge drinking. So I would go out on like a Friday, Thursday, Friday night, drink to excess and probably on the Saturday as well. And then just spend like the weekend in this like hungover pit of shame um, I started like not remembering large portions of my night. I started like waking up in places that I was like, where am I? Like not remembering who I'd spoken to. And then it just got steadily like worse. And I noticed it was having a really bad effect on my anxiety. I was like always, always anxious. And when I was younger, I'd never been like a typically anxious teenager or anything like that. I was always quite confident. Um, and then I think kind of like symptoms of depression as well. And I was just in this like, groundhog day cycle of drinking feeling slightly better drinking feeling anxious then feeling slightly better drinking um and then towards the end of 2017 I went through like a really bad breakup I'd been with my ex-boyfriend for like six years and I kind of did what everyone tells you to do in a breakup which is go out drink as many tequilas as you can and then like until you can't possibly feel your heart is broken so I did that and there was kind of a period of like three months where I was literally just drinking a lot, waking up, feeling like so anxious, feeling really horrendous, um, not feeling any better. And everyone told me that drinking would heal my heartbreak and it didn't. Um, and then I woke up February the 11th, 2018. And I just thought, I can't keep doing this. Like I'm so miserable. I'm so anxious all the time. My self-esteem was on the floor. Um, by this point, I'd been like waking up with people who I didn't know and like putting myself in a lot of dangerous situations, like the amount of times I could have like fallen on a train track or anything like that. Um, and coincidentally, about three weeks before, I think it was about three weeks, maybe about mm, five weeks, so it's not important. I was on the tube um, and I picked up a copy of Stylist magazine and it had an interview with Catherine Gray talking about um, her new book that she was bringing out. Um, and I kind of read it and I, I remembered it at the time. But then when I woke up that morning in February, I was like, I think I'm going to download that book that I read about. And I couldn't possibly open my eyes to even read a book. So I downloaded it on Audible using my free monthly credit um, and just listened to it. And it was kind of like the first time I'd ever, ever thought about sobriety as like a gain and not a punishment. I'd always thought like, no sobriety is like taking it away I'd lose all this I'd lose that and the way she kind of wrote about it was actually like I could gain so much from doing this so that day I said I'm never drinking again and here we are three years later and that that sounds really like it was easy and it was not easy um but yeah that day I decided and then stuck to it yeah that's that's what I find so interesting about your story because you know, we, we often have these kind of classic ideas about, you know, drinking, problematic drinking or whatever that like, you know, for me, obviously, I started really young, you know, you hear a lot of that, that it's like been going on. So your brain was still forming and, you know, and you were susceptible to that and, you know, the, the longevity of it. Um, and, you you know, and you weren't in that space really until you sort of went to uni and it was quite a short period. And it just goes to show that it's like, that it is about the drink like mm-hmm. it is about the booze it's not about the you know the kind of um I mean I know you have like a, a happy home life you know it's not about there's no sort of big drama story but it really is a story of kind of mental health um the toxins the 
poison that alcohol is and the fact that removing it made you feel better. Um, and I was, it's interesting you said that about Geordie Shaw and those shows. I hadn't really picked up on that because we often say like, you know, it was the kind of, we were the sort of sex and the city generation. Mm-hmm. So it's very much those shows that were kind of, yeah, sponsored by Blossom Hill and all that. So it was very intertwined. And I hadn't kind of, yeah, sort of figured that actually that time period there was, there was all those like reality shows that were very boozy. Um, yeah, it's interesting that, I mean, it does, it has an impact, like what we see on TV has an impact on our... yeah. And I think my, like you said, my drinking career, it was kind of like short because it was from 18 to 26. So I only really drank for like eight years of my life. But it wasn't that like nice wine, Cosmo, Sex and the City drinking. It was go out, get absolutely bladdered until you've passed out and someone has to carry you home. So it was like I went full on straight away. And that, that was what it was like from start to finish from eight years was just going out and drinking as much as I possibly could. There was no like moderation. There was no drinking a couple at restaurants. It was always full on. I get absolutely shit faced constantly. So yeah, it, it, it's. I don't think it matters how long it is. Sometimes it is how much alcohol you drink in that space of time. Yeah, and also yeah, and also the impact that it has on you and the way that you use it. You know, you're saying that kind of. I guess that's the the tipping point, isn't it? Is when we start to use it as a coping mechanism for pain. Mm. You know, that's when sometimes it it can move from something that is problematic, but you know, you can come back from, and then something that becomes a bit more sort of yeah um, sinister mm. is when we start of try and manage our pain and our feelings with it um and and so you didn't have from that day you didn't have any blips or anything it was like that's it yeah I mean I, I make it sound like it was that day I decided like before that I knew I needed to like cut down so I'd, I've done many a dry January me and my dad both gave it up for Lent once and got sponsorships and like we did it I've done many sober October so it wasn't like I just drank consistently and then all of a sudden decided no more. Like I knew I needed to like take it out. But that day, I don't know, there was just something like within me that just knew that that was it. And I don't even think like I said, I'm never, I think I did say I'm never drinking again, but I used to say that on many hangovers. But I just knew that like I needed to push it as long as possible to give myself like a real, real break from it. And then I just decided that I didn't want to go back I think I was probably like eight months into it when I was like no this is it now I'm like and I think there was a turning point when I started meeting other people and seeing people like you and meeting people like Scott and knowing that there was other people out there that like helped me tremendously on my journey to kind of like cement it as like a forever decision yeah I think that's that's something that's key you know and it's, it's something that comes when I'm working with people and you know they get so far and then it goes back or whatever and it's like but who are your people like who are your sober people and it doesn't have to be people that you hang out with in everyday life but it's just having those links of going right this is meaningful and it and I've got like that sense of people around me that just helps so much doesn't it yeah I, I always say like there was a point in my life when all my friends had boyfriends and I was the only single one. And it doesn't matter how supportive they are of me. I liked finding other single people because I just felt like they got what I was going through at that point in time. And, you know, my friends are so lovely and so supportive, you know, the usual, you'll find someone, it'll happen when you least expect it, but they don't 
get it and you want to talk to other people and it's the same with sobriety my friends are so supportive I mean initially ambivalent but after a while they were very supportive but they still aren't going through it they still don't get it so as, as nice as they are about it it has been so lovely for me to meet other people who are so I think it is so important meeting sober people or at least it has been for me yeah that's such a good such a good analogy a way to put it it's so true yeah so what would be your tips for people starting out what obviously you said Catherine Gray what what Mm -hmm. other things sort of helped you at the beginning I mean there is this whole corner of the internet now that is like dedicated to sober curiosity mindful drinking like everything and I don't even think there was loads out there when I first stopped there was like you and there was like club soda but I didn't find like loads. Now I think people are so lucky because there's literally like a program for everyone. There's like a coach for everyone. There's, I would just say like have a little research would be my first thing because there is so much out there. Um, for me, alcohol-free drinks have been like a blessing. I know for some people they might be triggering, but finding alternatives was was really key for me. Um, and then kind of like two things, which is learning other things that help you relax because that was a big one for me Um, and learning other things that you find fun because they were probably the two things that I associated drinking most with was relaxing and having fun so trying to find things that I enjoy that aren't drinking and ways to relax that aren't drinking have been like the two key things for me so I would really sit down and think about like what do I actually enjoy doing like what makes me feel happy and then also what makes me feel calm what makes me feel relaxed is it like going for a walk in nature is it watching Christmas films like what is it that you like doing and that you find fun that isn't what's in your um, toolkit then for relaxation and fun oh I mean relaxation sounds really silly because it's obviously the most ultimate relaxation thing but sleeping like if I'm ever really stressed I always just take a nap I think it's so underrated as a self-care method just like right okay I'm gonna go and sit upstairs and have a half hour nap and I always feel better after that baths I love a bath I know most people think it's like wallowing in your own filth but I I just love a bath um alcohol free drinks even like the ritual for me of making it I will get like a really nice fancy glass I'll get the ice out I'll get a garnish a nice tonic um and that really really helps me um going out for a walk just like literally 15 minutes I'm not I always do say exercise but I'm not like a huge exerciser but I always try and get out for at least like 15 to 20 minutes just outside in nature um I love things like surfing but I haven't really been able to do a lot this year and like paddle boarding being near water I find really really relaxing um and then just like fun things I mean I have turned into a child over the past three years so like I go trampolining I love bowling I'll go to the arcades and play air hockey like it doesn't need to be expensive or like over the top I mean I dragged everyone to the theme park for my birthday and we were just looking around and everyone in the queue was like 15 year old boys and we were like we're 30 year old women and we've come to the theme park for my birthday and we absolutely love it so yeah. I think things like that I do in my sober toolkit anything that's like fun or childlike I really enjoy yeah I love that and I love that that sleep is a big part of that because I think we do neglect that and we do neglect our sleep and it becomes this real kind of battle because it's like oh you know that missing out and I don't want to just go to sleep and I know especially when you, you've got kids and I used to feel like sleep was kind of like bit of a punishment it was like oh great now I have to go to sleep because the kid's gonna get up early and like 
you know, I don't have a life. It was just like, that's how it felt. But actually, it's like now it's like, I go to sleep, I get my PJs I'm so excited, you know, and I, I actually go to bed most of the time, my husband works away in the week, and I go to bed at the same time as the kids, because they're older now, so we like eat dinner together, and then by sort of 10 o'clock, you know, we're all in bed, and I read and go to sleep, but then I get up, and I am super productive in the morning, and really appreciate that kind of morning time before they get up and stuff, so yeah, yeah it's yeah. so important for your well-being to sleep well agreed um and so what's been your the area of personal growth that you've noticed the most since being sober do you know what I think just like the confidence and like self-esteem I think my like when I was drinking my self-esteem my confidence was so low and I really relied on this kind of like party persona to make people like me. Like, and that that became a challenge in itself when I first stopped drinking because I, I really thought, my God, people aren't going to like me because they only like me because I'm the party girl and I make everyone like go to the next club and I'm the organiser. And I think that was like a real, a real challenge. So that has been like a real personal growth. It's actually just getting to know like who I am, what I like doing, like what I'm about. Um, and that has made me really like confident as well to know that people actually like me for me and not just because I'm the party one or the fun one. Um, and just I think towards the end, like you said, where alcohol does become like a little bit more sinister when you're using it for coping mechanisms. I started using it for social anxiety and to feel better about myself and for confidence. So now that that's taken away, I've had to really like dig deep and find that within myself. So it's like really like pushing me to do that. So I would say that that as personal development. And then I just think like my relationships in general, like I'm so lucky that my friends have stuck by me because I, I was a really shitty friend in parts. Like I'd wake up and my friend would be like, are you still on for brunch? I'd be like, no, I'm dying. Like I can't come. And like this year, I just remember things. Like I remember birthdays and, you know, I go to people's baby showers and I'm really nice and attentive rather than being like, okay, where's the Prosecco? <laughs> like my relationships, that's been a really really big thing I think with that and my mum was forever worrying when I went out drinking like she was always I mean I've probably given her a fair few grey hairs that she didn't need to have so even those kind of like relationships I think have really strengthened for me so that has been like the biggest area I'd say and just I don't know being kinder and having more patience with people and also like even understanding that people make mistakes and they do things because I've made loads of mistakes drinking and you know, I I believe compl- a completely different thing to what I believed three years ago. I look at my Facebook posts that I write about drinking and I cringe within my soul. But, like, when people don't understand issues, I don't get annoyed because I'm like, in three years, you could think completely different about this issue. So I'm not going to, like, cancel you because this is what you believe. So I think, yeah, like, empathy and just kindness and having tolerance of people, all that kind of stuff has, yeah, really improved. Yeah, I mean, they something I learned sort of training to be a, a recovery coach and sort of understanding more about, you know, neuroscience and the brain is that you're, you know, when you're drinking a lot, like your brain's literally shutting down, like the relational centers in your brain are just getting more and more narrow. So you just don't have that breadth of thought process and everything just gets extremely black and white. 
And that's one of the beauties of like being sober is that thing of like, oh, I can see sort of the nuances in this and I can forgive and I can see their perspective and I can take a step back and I can analyze the situation and not jump in and be reactive. And I feel so grateful for that just to be like, oh, yeah, okay, I can I don't like I was so sort of into gossip when I was a drinker. Now I'm like, I have absolutely no interest in it. You know, I just hope everyone's being nice to each other and that's about yeah it really (laughs) there's no more drama and just over the drama of things yeah um okay so tell us about your book so it's published on it's not out yet is it so 14th of jan smack bang in the middle of dry january so tell us about it what can uh people expect to read Oh, okay. So it's a handbook. So I would say it's very practical. So there, it, there's kind of like three sections. So the first one like dives into a bit of my story, why alcohol is so present in society. And then it kind of goes into like, actually, why is sober curiosity becoming a thing? Um, it's kind of like, yeah, a bit of context. Then it kind of goes into like mental, physical, spiritual wellness, all the wellness and how sobriety can like aid with that and personal development and things like that. And then there's kind of like the really practical chapters. So like love, sex, dating, um, friendship, how to handle a wedding, how to do a boozy brunch, how to do a festival, like everything that you can think of that you would have to do sober is kind of like in there and how I've dealt with it. I mean, I've been on like four Hindus and one I went to a gin distillery so I I think I have an authority on sober Hindus now and um, so it's and it's very like I mean I want to say relatable but I don't know if that makes me sound like a bit of a knob but um as in like I've tried not to be like really preachy and whimsical and you know sobriety doesn't need to be like this big thing it can just be like you take this thing out and you embrace these like really lovely tiny moments in your life um and it's kind of like a I'd say it's like less of a blueprint for quitting drinking and actually like how you can survive sobriety because it sounds really silly but for me I knew what I needed to do to quit that was to stop drinking it was everything else that came after that that was going to lure me back into drinking like cravings peer pressure FOMO going to my friend's wedding it was all those things that were my biggest hurdles so that is what I wanted to write about it and I also have kind of done it from the perspective of stopping before it gets too bad and like acknowledging that you don't have to hit this like stereotypical rock bottom actually if it's really damaging your mental health or your confidence or even your physical health anything like that if you think it's preventing you from living your best life which is a phrase I hate but I seem to be using a lot lately then then this is kind of like for you because we don't need to wait until it gets you know that bad I did yeah but you can't see that key thing because the the anxiety about all the things is what prevents people from stopping so it's like you know you put in this like well I can't do it now because there's Christmas or I can't do it now because I've got to go to that wedding and I can't do it now because you know I'll I'll do it when I get back from that holiday and it is that kind of let's address those things and make sure you're resourced and you you have a plan Mm -hmm. because those things are always going to happen and and it is that game of chance it's like well what how I'm so glad that we're having these conversations now because it's like you know how bad you want it to get Mm -hmm. before you 
you hit your bottom you know it's like let's not get there because if you're asking those questions you know if you're blacking out I mean I felt like I was it was a game of chance all the time and it was just like I'd wake up and go oh like sort of surveying the damage oh good I've still got my phone I'm in my bed (laughs) okay phew right you know and obviously for me that kind of the added layer of being responsible for others as mum it's like mm-hmm. okay like, shit don't fuck you know like we're all okay kind of thing but once you're in that cycle of behavior and that's the way you drink it just it doesn't change yeah you know? and it would it wouldn't you don't make sort of and I guess that's what I was doing pushing it back well I'll be a mum when I'm a mum I won't do this yeah. you know and I definitely did it was an intentional like right I'm gonna have a kid like that I'll stop this behavior yeah and it it didn't it didn't didn't work out like that you know so fair play to you for yeah having that kind of that decision and and doing that for yourself and for your future family (laughs) yeah this is what I always say now but then people are like oh what are you gonna do when you have kids how are you gonna tackle their drinking and I'm like I don't even want to think about that yet don't ask me well what I can say is that I definitely that like there's so many narratives isn't there it's like I definitely had a narrative that I should keep drinking but drink responsibly to show my kids how to drink responsibly yeah. um, which is just nonsense because a I couldn't drink responsibly and and b like it's actually really good for them to have a model of someone just living and not drinking yeah. like my husband drinks I don't they we have conversations about the dangers of alcohol but it's their choice and and I think that's quite a good place to be really yeah. you know so I mean I'm hoping by the time I have a child like drinking won't be cool anymore like if I put it on the ground right now I won't have to do it later <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean what I guess that that's my next question so what are your hopes for the conversation around sobriety in the future and and how has it changed since you know in the three years since you've been in this space yeah I mean I think it's changed considerably the amount of people considering sobriety or so curiosity is just like um is crazy it's yeah beyond anything I ever imagined but I would like it to continue I think sometimes we are in that sober bubble of where we think you know sober curiosity and sobriety is like the norm and then you go to a nightclub and you're like that's definitely not the norm there's a lot of work to still be done sometimes I'm like oh my work here is done and then I'm like no it is not um, so I would like it to keep changing. I know there's, oh, I read so many things about, oh, we shouldn't make sobriety cool and it's not a trend and stuff. But I said the same thing about veganism. Like it saves so many animal lives and it's so good for the planet. Like why does it matter if, if it's cool or if it's trendy? Like I think there's a difference between like fidget spinners and Pokemon Go and things that come and go compared to like being a vegan or like a real lifestyle overhaul I just think it's so important that we keep spreading that message that it like can be glamorous and it can be exciting and actually you can gain a load from it and you can be really happy I think it's so important that we keep keep going with that narrative I would love to get to the point we have with smoking where it's just not really seen as the norm anymore and like when when you say you've given up smoking no one says oh why like why are we still smoking like I'd love it to get to that point when you stop drinking and you say oh I've stopped drinking people go oh that's good good for you I read something last week about how it's you know not very good for you so that's great that's that's what what I would love is that it just becomes so much more normalized and I'm not saying everyone needs to stop drinking but I, I would just like it to be normal for people to not drink 
yeah yeah I agree and it it's 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 such an interesting one isn't it because it's it's still so glamorized you know and we do we forget because we're having these little conversations and then Christmas comes around and you're like oh you see like a double page spread of celebrities with their own wine brands and you're like oh okay (laughs) you know or really bad ads that are just really kind of yeah quite harmful and I do think there's two conversations and I think that's what's been quite challenging over the last few years and you know I know that it's not always easy to be in this space and to be promoting sort of positive sobriety Mm -hmm. models because you get that that kind of old guard of of people where it's that have have had detrimental impacts of addiction and it's and I think now hopefully we're getting to that point where it's like there are two valid conversations but the conversations are are different Mm. you know and and there is a very very important conversation to be had about addiction and rock bottom and all those you know that that detrimental impact that it can have on people's lives but there is also a space of saying you know early intervention let's make this a choice let's you know make it attractive um and allow people to sort of ask those questions for themselves so they don't get to that point, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, it's harm reduction, really. And if, like, this, if it does become cool, in 10 years' time, we might see a whole generation that shun alcohol completely and then never have to get to their rock bottom. That's, like, it's not necessarily about us. It's about the next generation and, like, your kids. Imagine if we put in all this work now to make sobriety exciting and attractive and then they actually turn around in like 10 years time and say, oh, I don't, I don't want to drink in the same way that some people won't want to smoke now because we've put in all that groundwork, got the health warnings. Like if we get all that stuff, it might, it might turn out that actually no one ever has to get to rock bottom because they don't start drinking in the first place. Yeah. And I think there's, there's also the kind of conversation about accidental death. And that's something that like, I know they change the, um, they change the parameters of like, of how they sort of frame the statistics in England because I sort of went down this rabbit hole and we were writing the book because there was this report in in France about the number of kind of of deaths in for alcohol and mm-hmm. I was like wow that's really high because I'm always like oh you know it's very different culture la 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 and then I was looking at the British stats and I was like hang on a second like that does not make any sense and it's like they they change the statistics so like in France it's alcohol related deaths whereas in in the UK it's um direct impact of alcohol so they basically only people that have like liver cirrhosis yeah counted and so but when you put in accidental death you know or car accidents and all those things it's like the statistics are hugely hugely different yeah and none of that is about rock bottom like none of that is about you know addiction that's just accidents and just those moments where we were you know where we were playing chance that could you know sort of change people's lives so there are so many times where I genuinely think I could have I mean it does sound dramatic but it is true like I remember I tried to like jump out of a car when I was drunk like I literally could have just jumped out and gone into another car the amount of times I've run across roads when I've been pissed the amount of times I've got on trains and could have fallen on the tracks like just because I wasn't necessarily going to die of liver cirrhosis I still could have died by my drinking like that still could have absolutely been a possibility 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's a really important message. Gosh, we're serious today, aren't we? <laughs> we like, we'll have a really light-hearted chat. <laughs> <laughs> it's January 1st. So there we go, dry January. You know, just a, have a go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in terms of kind of, yeah, the sparkle, the joy, what self-care practices do you have? Like, what, what lights you up about being sober? What's your kind of, yeah, the... The unexpected joys, I suppose. God, I mean everything. Like my finances have really improved. Just my well-being and like my clarity, my ability to stay present. Like it sounds really cliche, but there isn't one part of my life that hasn't improved by not drinking. Whether that's friendship, family, mental well-being, physical well-being. Like there's just so many positives for me. I feel like I've just gained and gained and gained and I'm not saying it's easy I think sometimes that makes it sound like it's easy but all the things I've gained far outweigh anything I've left behind which is booze um so that I think is but I mean all my self-care practices are really like simple I don't do anything like massive I don't pay for like 70 pound facials I just stick on a mask from Superdrug and like if it brings me out an acne it brings me out an acne it's at least I'm still like resting for a little bit I think like that's the point and even like I mean sobriety in itself is self-care you're looking after your body you're looking after your mind and your mental well-being and um, I'm trying to cut out coffee at the moment actually because that's getting to the point where I think it's making me a little bit anxious so that's my next self-care thing is to cut out coffee I think we can see cutting out as like a loss people are like don't cut out stop cutting things out you're just cutting things out left right and center but if I gain some like peace and clarity and less anxiety, that's that's worth cutting out for me. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I've cut out. I don't drink coffee anymore, um, and it you do kind of get to that. You get quite kind of mindful and interested about your well being, basically, because it's like, well, I'm trying to make myself feel better, and I don't really love coffee. Like I just drank it because it was there and because I was tired and. So when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, I don't really love it. It's not like I'm going to – I don't feel like it's going to – yeah, I, I feel like me stopping it, I'm going to gain more than than what I'm losing. And so I stopped, and, yeah, it's, it did impact on my sleep for sure. And then you can just find something else, you know. It's like, what tea can I drink? Yeah. Like, what water? And there's always other options, um, which is the sort of joy of sobriety, isn't it? Yes, interesting. So what, um, this new year, what are your intentions, wishes, dreams for 2021? God, I mean, it's... Get out of the house. Yeah, I was going to say, just to see my friends, that's all I care about. It sounds so silly, but like this year has really put things into perspective for me of what actually brings me joy. And like I've had an awesome year because I got the book deal and like I've got the book coming out, but I miss my friends so, so much that like it hasn't you know like solved everything for me I'm not like oh I'm happy now I've got this like I miss my friends I miss hugging them I miss my family being all together um so that is my main dream really is to spend time with my friends and I would love to get on a plane I really would love to go on holiday that would be nice I haven't I mean I've not even been out of the house let alone the country um but yeah just to get away for I mean or even a break in the UK safely and um, that would just be my two like really simple things that I want from 2021 I think mm. yeah it's interesting isn't it the, the perspective of just like what really matters you know yeah if you'd asked me last year I would be like I want this and I want this and I want this and now I'm like I literally just want to have brunch with my friends 
But what, I mean, what plans do you have for this year? Is there any other than the book? I mean, obviously promo, getting the book out there, but do you have any other plans? Is it possible to have plans? In, in I was going to say, I've really not made any plans because, I mean, the big plan I, I have in my head is to do more meetups and events because we've not been able to do them this year. But again, I've not actually put any plans into action because I just don't know so I've started thinking about things that I would love to do and where we'd like to go um, and I've been looking at like things that we can do and maybe like people organizing their own mini meetups free things that socially distance but it's just so hard to make any plans I think I mean the one big plan is I want to move out because I uh, well actually that is a plan I have this year it's um in August it'll be my 30th birthday so That'll be one fun thing that I'd like to do. And I've not had a launch party for the book, so I'm hoping by August, vaccines out, we'll all be good. We can have a little joint 30th and book party. Nice. Alcohol-free as a law. Yes. And we we can, we and us too, yeah. We didn't have a launch. It was my 40th. Oh, yeah. 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 Me too. Yeah. We can have a 30th slash 40th slash Love Sober slash Sober Society book and party. Birthday, books and birthday. Yeah. I'm in. Done. Sign me up. Done deal. Okay. And so we always finish with your tip of the day and your reason to love sober. Oh, tip of the day. Um, Just reach out to people, I would say. It's normally in every other situation considered creepy for you to just slide into someone's messaging box and say, hi, like, can we chat? But in the sober sphere, I think it is almost encouraged. I don't think anyone will find you weird. So if you, like, see anyone who's doing the sober thing and, like, I would just message them. That would be my, like, one tip is I mean even on Facebook there's so many Facebook groups I would try and find a community or at least find a person I think that has just been like one really key thing for me um and my reason to love sober um because I met Kate and Mandy that is today's reason to love sober I have many but we'll go with that one for today Oh, stop. Flattery will get me everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, um, yeah, if people don't know how to find you or find the book, where can they get in contact or where can they buy the book? Yes, they can find me at Millie Gooch with an IE or at Sober Girl Society. And the book is currently available uh, Amazon and Waterstones. Nice. So it's available for pre-order, and then they'll get there. Yeah. Is it a hard? It's hardback. Hardback. It? Yeah. I'll show you a copy so, after this. I was so beautiful. Yeah, I saw it online. It's yeah. Very nice. Very excited. Although, oh, well, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, sorry, Kate. She sends her love. Oh, that's all right. Um, I'll message her. Yeah. And um, good luck with everything. And you know, and we've said it before when we've chatted. I mean, it's it is meaningful work for the next generation and we really appreciate you putting it out there you know we've both got daughters we both know those kind of yeah we, we've lived those experiences too you know so it's 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 nice to sort of yeah you're a change maker so you should be really really proud of you oh thank you thank you so much for having me it's been lovely to have her all right so if you're listening to this and you're immediately concerned about your drinking do reach out you can send us a message at info at love sober um sobristas has a um 
a private uh, Ask the Doctor service, which is anonymous. You can reach out to your GP, um, you know, reach out to Millie, also Bell Society. You're not alone, you know, and um, yeah, we'll buy Millie's book, buy our book. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be back next week for more chat.